Thank you for listening to our Love City Church podcast. Visit us online at www.lovecitychurch.ca. We pray that this message encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with Jesus. This morning what we're going to be focusing on is uh, back into our In Not Of series. As we jump back into 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we're going to look again at verses 1 to 5, but we're going to read it from the NIV translation. And last week we talked, uh, we kind of did a little bit of a recap on our, our story of where we're at in this journey in uh, 1 Corinthians and talking about the culture, the context of Corinthians uh, and how Paul wrote to a group of people who were new believers and they heard the testimony of Paul, the testimony of Paul's demonstration of power and it impacted them so much that it that, that they became Christians and the church started. And, and when Paul left uh, the Corinth, the church began to fall apart. And all sorts of uh, the culture, the immorality in the culture and divisions and all sorts of things began to happen in the church. And so Paul's writing this letter to address that very thing. And so we're going to jump into 1 Corinthians Chapter 2, verses 1 to 5 in the NIV translation. Let's read it together. It says, And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. The big idea that I want to focus on today in this verse is that that our word, when our words are filled with a boasting or a, a demonstration of God's power, there's something that significant happens. Something happens when we speak words of faith, when we speak God's, of God's power, something significant happens in the supernatural and in the natural world. And so if we look at our, in our NIV text, we actually didn't see this last week in our, uh, our text because we read from the ESV But the NIV says it differently. The NIV says in verse 1, And so it was with me, brothers and sisters. This implies that there is something that Paul's referring to that he just said. Therefore, he says, Okay, I've just said a bunch of stuff, and I want you to know that the things I just said actually apply to me and how I presented the gospel to you. And so for order for us to understand what Paul was talking about in that little small statement, we have to jump back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. So let's look back at verse 26. It says, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. And God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast in his presence. It is because of him that you're in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. 
See, this verse here is talking about the power of the cross. Paul started this uh, chapter, this section of scripture, by talking about how the message of the cross is pure foolishness, incredible, incredible foolishness to the world. And the world thinks it's foolish, it's moronic, it's stupid. And so Paul began to talk about how the rulers of this age, the philosophers of this age, the debaters of this age, the smart people of this age, he says, where are they? When it comes to the message of Jesus, they, they are nowhere to be found because they don't believe that the message of Jesus Christ is very smart. And he goes on to say, listen, it's not so with you. I want you to think about when you were called. Think about that not many of you were noble birth. Not many of you were famous. Not many of you were well known. Not many of you were kind of in the place where you really deserved a uh, this type of message. There's nothing about your life that, that, that would mean that you deserve it. It's You're basically, you were foolish and weak and, and, and despised and debased. And really, you were the things that were not. I mean, if you, you know, it's really interesting. If you look at our culture today, you'll see that many people today are craving fame and fortune, a celebrity fame and fortune. I mean, recently, my, my daughter and my son have been listening to this ridiculous YouTube. They watch this YouTube channel, these two twin girls uh, opening up uh, different merchandise that these, these stores send them to open. And I hate that YouTube channel. I want to write a note to the parents and say, guys, you're ruining my life. Um, these kids, all they want is these gifts. They want these toys. They want these things. And my daughter came up to me, and Ezra and Brea came up to me at recently and, and after they watched this video and said, Dad, we want to be YouTube stars. We want to be famous on YouTube. We want to start our own YouTube channel. And I told them to get behind me, Satan. And I rebuked the thought. Uh, no, I just, today's day and age, people want to be famous. It's, it's common for a young person to think that they could, that fame and fortune and celebrity is within their grasp. And what Paul is saying here in this verse is that in a day and age where, where the philosophers and the debaters and the athletes and the celebrities of that day were, were, were revered and honored, he says, listen, you were literally none of those things. You were lowly. You were despised. You were things that you are, you, things that are not. That, that kind of phrasing comes from the, the Greek word genetics. And the main idea behind those words were that Paul was basically saying that on the blip of existence, um, and on, on the in the realm of our planet, uh, on our Earth, you basically don't exist. You basically have nothing about your life that would that would be a reason to receive this majestic, incredible, mysterious message from God. There's nothing about your life. God didn't choose the ones who had it all together. He didn't choose the ones who had all their finances out in the open. He didn't choose the, the ones who looked the part and acted the part. He chose ones that were sinful, ones that had a, a, a nasty past and difficult uh, uh, history. And he chose those who didn't look the part. And he chose those who didn't play the part. He chose people just like you and me who are struggling, who had challenges, who were in sin, who were facing discouragement and depression, who, who were feeling out of sorts and feeling disconnected and lonely and broken. These are the types of people that God chose to carry his message. These are the type of people, unremarkable, nothing types of people. And see, what this cross did, it says in the scripture, it's because of him that you're in Christ Jesus. See, what the cross did is the cross gave self-respect to those who had no respect. The cross gave eternal life to those who had no life. 
The cross told them that even though this world might not think that they matter, even though you don't whirl, uh, matter to the world around you, you still matter intensely to God. It told people who were worthless in the eyes of the world that in the eyes of God, that you were worth the death of his only son. See, Christianity is, is still the most uplifting message on the planet. It's what normalizes us. It's what makes us who we are. It, the moment that we became alive, the moment in our weakness and in our loss and in our lowest moments, we can relate to the fact that we are down and out and Jesus showed up and gave us this incredible message, the message of the cross. And he changed our lives and he transforms our heart, transformed our hearts and changed our thinking and changed our relationships and changed our perspective and gave us faith and gave us joy and gave us peace and restored our marriages and, and provided for us when we had nothing. That's the message of the cross of Jesus Christ. And he chose you and your life and who you are. And he wanted to give it to you, not because of anything that you did, other than the fact that you are qualified in Christ Jesus to receive this message. See, this is the message that Paul was talking about. In its simplest form, Paul in chapter one was talking about the power of the cross. He just got done talking about how God chose foolish people to shame the wise, how he chose you and me, people who didn't deserve it, to basically put to shame the celebrity powers of this world. And then he finishes his verse with verse 31. He said, the chapter with verse 31 says, Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And then he says, okay, and brothers and sisters, and so it was with me. So it was with me that, that I came to you sharing the testimony about Jesus, and I came sharing the demonstration of God's power, and I came uh, communicating to you what God had done in my life, and, and so it was with me that I was down and out, and I was worthless, and I didn't deserve it, so therefore, if I want to boast, if I'm going to tell you about something, if I'm going to share my testimony, I am going to boast about the power of God in my life. That word boast there actually means to glory in. The word boast means to praise something. And then he continues further in our key text in, chapter, in verse 4, in 1 Corinthians 2.4. It says, And my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with the demonstration of the Spirit's power. Remember, he's saying here that my message, or my speech and my message, my, my message and my preaching, the ESV uses the phrasing, uh, my speech and my message. It would imply that there's two types of words that are being used here, two types of communication. One of the communication is your speech, how you talk in private, how you speak to your family, how you speak to your friends, the words you choose to use when you're kind of in your private world, when you're with them, when you're at work, what kind of, are you telling and boasting about the power of God in your private life? How about your public life, when you're out and open, and you're out kind of around people, and you're around people you don't really know in your public life? What is the message, what is the gospel that you share with other people? He's talking about words. And Paul is saying that my private life and my public life, the words that I use, the message that I communicate, I'm constantly boasting about the undeserved grace and the power of God in my life. I am consistently boasting about how good God is. And guess what? Something significant happened and happens when we do this. See, think about it for a minute. This is how the church of Corinth started. This is all Paul did. This is what Paul's saying. 
I didn't come to you with eloquence. I didn't come to you looking the part. I didn't come to you. I came in fear. I came in trembling. I came challenged. I came almost a little discouraged. I didn't come with fancy, lofty, eloquent words. I literally came with a testimony of the demonstration of God's power. I literally came boasting about what God has done in my life. And when Paul did that with just a few people, with Aquila and Priscilla, he shared this testimony and something significant happened in the natural world and in the spiritual world around him. Something significant happened when he began to share his testimony of God's power. In the case of Corinth, the church was founded on it. So this would imply that our words can be empty or our words can have power. This could imply that what comes out of our mouth, the gospel that you represent, is either empty or it's powerful. This implies that our words can manifest the Spirit's power and something significant will happen. In Proverbs 18.21, the the wisest man on the planet outside of Jesus and Moses, uh, his name is Solomon, wrote this very simple scripture in Proverbs 18.21, the tongue can bring death or life. The tongue can bring death or life. Our tongue, our words, our words can actually usher in the Spirit's power. Something happens in our lives and in the lives of others when our words boast and glory in and praise God. Actually, if you go back and look at Acts chapter 2, in Acts chapter 2, we look at uh, uh, this was the day of Pentecost when the, the Holy Spirit came down on, uh, on the disciples. Jesus had been crucified and he rose on the third day and uh, he, he met with the disciples and told them to wait in Jerusalem until he, the, the gift, the Holy Spirit comes. And so Jesus then ascended up to the right hand of the Father. And then they were praying in the upper room. And as they were praying in the upper room, these disciples were gathered together. It says in the scripture very clearly in Acts 2, uh, on the day of Pentecost, uh, in verse 2, suddenly a sound like a blowing of violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. Look at these words. They saw what seemed to be, look at this, tongues, tongues of fire uh, that separated and came to rest on each of them. Look at this. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Look at this. Tongues of fire. They began to speak. So words, they, they spoke in other tongues. So the first thing that the Holy Spirit did on the life of the believer is impact how they spoke impact how they talked. We see here that that, that Paul, or or, I'm sorry, these disciples spoke in intelligible words, words that people understood, and we don't see any significant physical miracle happening in this chapter, though I believe that that can happen and all those things, but just specifically on this account, you see that the first evidence that the Holy Spirit is doing something in their midst, their speech, their words begin to communicate With words, the power of God. We see this later in Acts 2.11, just a few verses down. It says, and we all here, the people who were gathered there that day, were all there, every nation under heaven, were gathered in that place on that day. And it said, and we all hear these people speaking words 
in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. So when they were baptized in the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit came down upon them, when they be, what happened was is they began to speak, their words began to utter the wonderful things that God has done and something significant began to happen. A few verses later, verse 32, it says Peter's words pierced their hearts and they said to him and to the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? His words pierced them. These people heard the words of God's power. They heard the words of a demonstration of the Spirit's power, and something powerful happened in their life. Now, just to note again, in this verse, when the Spirit came upon the disciples, they spoke in intelligible words, and there were no physical miracles that happened in these first verses. We don't see any of that. All we see is the Holy Spirit coming down and beginning to empower their words. So our words could be empty, or our words can have power. That's what the author meant when he wrote in Psalms 22.3, when he spoke about God, this author is talking about God, says, yet God, you are holy, you are enthroned on the praises of Israel. You are enthroned on the praises of Israel. That word enthroned means to dwell, to remain, to sit, to abide, to inhabit. This word implies that it's move-in day, like God is going to live and permanently live and move into those words. He's making his home there. He's relocating himself to inhabit, to dwell, to sit, and to abide in what? Their words, in their praises. That word praises actually means in the Hebrew, a hymn of praise. It means adoration. It means thanksgiving thanksgiving given to God. Also, it means a song that talks about the qualities or deeds or attributes of God. See, Paul knew about this boasting. He knew about these words. He knew about this praise unto God that caused there to be the Spirit of God. God himself would rest on his words. We look at Acts chapter 16. I won't read it uh, out loud, but I'll just kind of tell the story and we'll read just one verse in it, a couple of verses in it. Paul and Silas were, were, were on their way to, the, to church, and this is right about the, around the time when Corinth was being uh, launched, and there was this young teenage girl who walked behind them for three days, and while she walked behind them, uh, she was uh, a fortune teller, a psychic. She was filled with a demon, and, uh, and so if you're ever wondering if psychics or fortune tellers are, are filled with demonic spirits or not, look at this verse to ha- as evidence to show you that they are. And Paul, this girl, would walk behind Paul and Silas, and she would shout at the top of her lungs, these men are the servants of the Most High God. They are telling you the way to be saved. I mean, this girl filled with a demon who foretells people's futures is walking behind Paul and Silas and basically doing the preaching for Paul. I mean, all Paul had to do was turn around and say, listen to this girl who's filled with a demon is declaring that we know what we're talking about. We are legit. We're, you know, like these, this girl was going on and on saying, these guys are the real deal. They're legit uh, from God. Like they've got something to share with you. And Paul, after three days, got really irritated. He got really annoyed with this teenage girl. Maybe it was how she said, oh, you know, maybe she was, you know, talking like a teenage girl might talk, you know. These guys are from the Most High God. You know, like who knows what about this circumstance bothered Paul so much, but he was really bothered. 
And he turned around and he, he, he looked at her and pointed his finger at her and he said, he told the demon to come out of her. And the demon came out of her. She was restored and healed and saved and, and it was an incredible miracle. Well, the owner of this, this girl, the one who she worked for, who had several different people like this, knew that if this continued, it would bring down their, their business, their economy. And so um, he was really frustrated about this. And so he gathered together all the other business owners who were like, like similar businesses, and they got really mad at Paul and Silas and brought them before the city councilors and through, before the judge. And so the judge saw them guilty, beat them brutally, beat Paul and Silas to a bloody pulp, threw them in the deepest, deepest, darkest part of the prison, down below in the depths, put shackles on their hands, shackles on their feet, all because they uh, were preaching and declaring the gospel. All because they cast a demon out of a girl who was uh, uh, who was in bondage, and they 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 beat these guys up. They threw them into jail. They shackled them, and here they are. All because they stood up for the Lord. All because they were serving God. And really, this is a bad situation. We go into Acts chapter 16, verses 25, and we'll see very quickly how Paul and Silas handled this circumstance. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. And the jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't arm yourself, we're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out. Now, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And he replied, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you'll be saved, you and your household. Does it say that Paul and Silas were pleading to get out of jail? Does it say that they were ticked at God for putting them in this situation? Does it say that they were complaining about how tight the shackles were or how deep the dungeon was or they were ticked that they got beaten up for, for preaching the gospel? Like, Do we see any type of negative uh, uh, attitude or perspective or, or, or walking around all feeling all sorry for themselves? No. Like we literally see them super chill and super relaxed and it just says they began to sing hymns to God. They begin to boast and praise about God. And all the other prisoners were listening. And theologians believe that, that, that Paul and Silas were probably singing somewhere between Psalms 113 and Psalms 118, or maybe Psalms 136. And it's called the Great Halal. That's what Jews would call it, the Great Halal. And the one I chose is Psalms 118, 5 to 8. It says, when hard-pressed, I cried out to the Lord. He brought me into a spacious place. The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? The Lord is with me. He is my helper. I look in triumph on my enemies. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in wisdom. Paul was declaring the, a demonstration of God's power. Paul was boasting in God. Paul was praising God. Paul was worshiping God. And something significant happened, not only in the spiritual world, someone gave their life to God, an entire family, but also in the natural, something natural happened when we begin to boast of the demonstration of God's power. And that's why Paul wrote this verse, because he had experienced it. In our key text, in verse 5, uh, chapter 2, this was uh, so that your faith would, would rest in God's power and not in human wisdom. 
He says, so your faith would rest in God's power. That phrase, might rest or would rest, comes from, uh, it's, it's a subjunctive verb, which speaks to the, the, the idea that it could be, it should be. It'd be like saying, man, I wish I were only 10 years younger. It's like, it's like you're talking about a hypothetical situation. And he says, basically, I, I just I, my prayer is, my desire is, my hope is, my hypothetical prayer for you is that your faith would exist in God's power and not on human reasoning, not on human perspective. He's talking about our faith being shifted, something shifting in your faith. Where does your faith exist? Where, does your faith exist in the power of the cross? Does your faith exist in, 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 the, in the power of God? Or does your faith exist in man's reasoning? Does your faith exist in human perspective? Does your faith uh, exist on what you see naturally, not on what you see spiritually? See, these people's eyes, the Corinthians' eyes, had shifted from a supernatural spiritual God to a human religion, from a heart relationship to a head knowledge, to a head religion. And Paul was wanting to bring them back. If we look at another key text that's really important to our talk today, is in Psalms 40, verses 1 to 3, something incredible here. It's a gift, really. It's, it's, a really. it's a tool that God wants to give you and I when it comes to uh, uh, our lives and how you and I can experience the presence of God, how we can experience the kingdom of God being enthroned in our life naturally and spiritually right now. And it's found in Psalms 40, verses 1 to 3. And it says, this, I, it says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud mire, and set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. See, this author is identifying what the power of the cross was in his life. He turned to me. I, I was stuck in, in the mud of life. I was stuck in my situation. I couldn't go any further. I couldn't go any farther in my marriage. I couldn't go any farther in my relationships. I couldn't go any farther in my finances. I couldn't go any farther. I was stuck in life and I didn't know what to do. And so I cried out to the Lord. Or maybe you're out of control and you're in the pit of life and the water begins to come in and you, it begins to rise in your life and to the point where it comes so high that you, you're out of control. You don't know what to do and so you cry cry out to the Lord. And you say, God, I need you. You cry out to him in your situation. And it says that he's in the pit of despair, in the slimy pit. And God pulled him out. God turned to him. God heard him. God lifted him. God set his feet on a rock and gave him a firm place to stand. That is the story and the message of the cross of Jesus Christ in our lives. But then the author says something really incredible. Verse 3, he says, after all the things that God did, then lastly what he did was he put a new song in my mouth. Look at this, a hymn of praise to our God. The same thing Paul sang in the prison, the same thing that God enthrones, the same thing that God did in the very beginning in Acts chapter 2. This is what Paul's talking about when he talks about boasting in God. This new song is so important to us. It is a gift from God. This is why our worship experience, our worship environment is so important to us. It's, that's why 
why I encourage you to lift your voices and sing a new song because I understand I don't want to be sensational and I don't want to be over charismatic and I don't want to be uh, make you do something that just to make you do it. I want you to experience the tangible presence of Jesus Christ. I want you to experience the love of God. I want you to experience what it feels like to have the Spirit of God enthroned in your praises and something will happen supernaturally and something happens naturally. Look at this verse in Isaiah 61, verse 1 and 3. Uh, This is Isaiah writing about Jesus. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me. Look at this. To give them the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. See, this is what Jesus gives. This is one of the things Jesus does in our lives. He gives us a new song. He gives us a hymn of praise. He gives us the garment of praise in exchange for our spirit of heaviness. When our natural response is to have a spirit of heaviness, we put on a garment of praise and something significant changes in our lives. Look at this in Hebrews 13, 15. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. That's why we prioritize our worship time together. Once a week, literally for 20, maybe 25 minutes, maybe 30, we gather together. Literally, think about that. Two hours a month we get together and we worship as one. We honor God as one. We lift our voices as one and bring glory to God in hopes that God would come and rest on our praises and minister to us in a significant way. And so we see here that the author is talking about the power of the cross. Then he says that God, so you've experienced God's salvation, you've experienced the cross, you've experienced these mighty powers. Then he gives you the, 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 the new song, the capacity to declare that, 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 that the power of the cross, to declare what God has done in your life. He gave you this tool and this gift to sing a hymn of praise to God. And then the offer identif- identifies three things that happen in our lives when we begin to declare the demonstration of God's power, when we begin to boast about who God is. And it says it in verse three. Uh, It says, he put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. And then he says, many will see, many will fear the Lord, and many will put their trust in him. Something significant happens when you begin to lift your voice and begin to boast about God's power. The first thing that happens is, is there is a fresh faith. Many will see. There's a revelation There's a revelation that comes. Your faith perspective shifts. What will will they see? We'll see clearly. There's clarity of vision. There's clarity of perspective. There's clarity of the situation that you're experiencing in your life. There is clarity. 1 Corinthians 1, 9 and 10. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things God has revealed to us by the Spirit. So what your eye can't see in the natural, what your ears can't can't hear, what what your mind can't conceive in the natural world, what God has in store for your life, but it is revealed to you by the Spirit. There is a revelation. There is an eye opening. There is a shift in your perspective because in the faith world, in the spiritual world, you see 
by faith. In the natural world, you see with your natural eyes. But with our spiritual world, we our eyes are faith. It says that in Hebrews 11, chapter 1. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. So faith is assurance of what we can't see in the natural. Our faith is an assurance in the spiritual of what we can't see with our physical eyes in the natural. 2 Corinthians 5, 7. For we live by faith and not by sight. So something happens when you and I begin to lift our voice in praise. Uh, we experience a fresh faith. The eyes, the spiritual eyes that see spiritual things begin to experience revelation and we begin to see things we didn't see before. We begin to experience an unlocking of the power of God in our life and something significant happens. It shifts our faith. Something shifts. Our faith is no longer in the human reasoning in the natural eye. Our faith is now in the spiritual eye, the eye of faith, uh, on the power of God in our lives. The second thing we see happens when you and I begin to boast and sing a hymn of praise and begin to sing this new song and declare the glory of God and He rests on our, on our praises. It says in verse, verse 3 again, many will fear the Lord. There's a fresh wisdom. There's a fresh awe of God's power. As though you've seen something powerful. Have you ever stood uh, on the bank of the ocean and looked at the vast array of the ocean or climbed a mountain in the Canadian Rockies and looked across the expanse of the, the mountains or stood at, at outside in a dark uh, country road and looked up into the sky and seen the vast expanse of the galaxies? It's a moment where you begin to feel, oh my gosh, I am so small and God is so big. It helps you feel this awe and this overwhelming vastness that, oh my gosh, I am so insignificant in the scope of life, and yet God is so big, He must be in control of my life. He must be in charge of my life. It reads, it leads us to the realization that if God's in control of my life and God know, knows what He's doing, then, then He knows what's going to happen next in my life. I'm reminded of God's power in God's sovereignty and something shifts. When I begin to fear the Lord in this way, something begins to happen to how I live my life and how I make decisions. Psalms 111.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who follow its precepts have good understanding. Look at this in Job 28, verses 23 to 28. God alone understands the way to wisdom. He knows where it can be found, for he looks throughout the whole earth and sees everything under the heavens. He decided how hard the wind should blow and how much rain should fall. He made the laws for the rain and laid out a path for the lightning. And then he saw wisdom and he evaluated it. He set it in place and examined it thoroughly. And this is what he says to all humanity. The fear of the Lord is true wisdom. To forsake evil is real understanding. When you begin to boast about the greatness of God and you begin to have this vast realization of the enormity of God and the bigness of God and the sovereignty of God, what happens is, is you begin to fear the Lord and realize, oh my gosh, God is in control of my life. And it helps you begin to have the beginnings of wisdom, good decision-making, good choices. You begin to see life through fresh perspective. And things begin to happen in your life. Psalms 128, 1 and 2, Blessed are those who fear the Lord. You will eat the fruit of your labor. Blessings and prosperity will be yours. 
Proverbs 19.23, the fear of the Lord leads to life. Then one rests content untouched by trouble. All of this from fearing the Lord, which comes through worship and praise and singing a hymn to God and boasting about a demonstration of his power. And lastly here, uh, the third thing that happens in our perspective, the third thing that happens is there's a fresh trust. Many will trust. As Paul said, your trust will no longer be, your faith will no longer be in human wisdom, but your faith will be in God's power. Your faith will be in God's power in your life. The scripture says, the Bible says, blessed are those whose confidence and trust is in the Lord. You have a fresh trust that God's gonna take care of your life. You have a fresh trust that during every situation that you're facing, that God's going to help you, that God's going to guide you, that God's going to lead you. You've got a fresh trust to believe that no matter what you're facing, no matter what's going on in life, no matter where your marriage is at, no matter where your finances are, no matter what difficult situation that you're facing in your life, you can put your trust in the Lord because God is so big and you have a fresh eyes of faith. God will do something significant in the spiritual and in the natural world if you simply stop today and start honoring him, start boasting out loud about his, uh, how good he is, start singing praises to him, sing the new song to God, and you watch. God will inhabit your praises, and something significant will happen. A fresh faith, a fresh wisdom, and a fresh trust in the Lord. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for how good you are. And as we've been studying in 1 Corinthians, Lord, I pray that our heart would be, this journey with you in our heart would be a relationship, not just a religion. And that, Father, we wouldn't be the kind of people who base our faith on uh, on human understanding or what our natural eye sees, but we would base our faith on what you have done in our lives and that, God, you would continue to show yourself uh, faithful and powerful in our lives. Let us recognize how great you are. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our Love City Church podcast. Visit us online at www.lovecitychurch.ca. We pray that this message encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with Jesus.